This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and tsleil nations. At approximately 4.20 a.m. on Saturday, December 19, 2015, a police cruiser races down the Lougheed Highway towards 216th Street in downtown Maple Ridge, British Columbia. The lights on the cruiser create a drastic contrast against the dark night sky. Its sirens pierce through the quiet of the cold winter night. A report of possible gunfire is the call over the radio. In the parking lot of the Haney Presbyterian Church sits a black Hyundai Veloster with its driver's side window open. The lit crucifix on top of the church casts an eerie light onto the idling car. Constables from the Ridge Meadows RCMP detachment approach the car with caution, guns at the ready. Looking into the car, they make a gruesome discovery. The slumped body of a man sits in the driver's seat. He's been shot four times in the head at close range. He has a gaping wound on the side of his face and neck. On the seat beside him sits a glowing phone with an unsent message that read, like, I'm tripping over you, and for who knows. That followed by the word barbecue repeated five times and several rows of letters Q, V, and some commas. As more first responders swarm into the residential area, the reality of the man's situation sinks in. He's dead. But why? This is the death of Peter Bender. And this is True North True Crime. Welcome to True North True Crime, Episode 1. I'm your host, Graham. And I'm Caitlin. And we have been wanting to start this podcast for four years now, so it's pretty insane that we're finally sitting here in our one-bedroom apartment in Vancouver, um, and we're in a blanket for it because we don't have a studio space, so we're, we're kind of making do with what we've got here. So, Graham, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what this podcast is going to be focusing on. Yeah, with True North True Crime, we want to bring awareness to crimes, mysteries, and unsolved cases that have impacted uh, Canadian communities. Mm -hmm. And we definitely want to focus on victims as well as their families and anybody who was impacted by the crime or the mystery that we're we're covering that day. Yeah, and tonight's episode is not really a whodunit. It's more of a whydunit. And this is one of those episodes where we want to take a look at the reasons why the uh, the 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 crime happened and and in this one we're going to really kind of drill down into toxic masculinity and all that goes along with that and the reasons why someone would commit a murder like this whether they're justifiable or in this case not, not. yeah <laughs> yeah and uh toxic relationships and you know mental Inab- health addictions like this one's got right. it all an yeah. inability to understand the word no mm-hmm. so in this episode we're going to be talking about the murder of peter bender a sales associate who was murdered in 2015 but before we do that let's talk a little bit about maple ridge the town where the murder took place so maple ridge is a city located about 40 kilometers and that's what, roughly 65 col- or miles? Yeah, 65 miles, I think. Yeah, so we're going to be operating in metric here. That's that's how we roll in Canada. So apologies in advance. Uh, you might have to look up conversions. So Maple Ridge is located 40 kilometers from downtown Vancouver. Up until 2014, it was still considered a municipality of the Greater Vancouver Regional District before it became its own city. Maple Ridge has a population of about 83,000 people, And the area has often been considered a bedroom community or suburb of Vancouver, with the majority of its citizens being blue-collar and working class. Maple Ridge has often been thought of as a good place to raise a family due to lower real estate prices and good proximities to schools as well as green space. It's close to mountains. It has the Fraser River on the side. It's honestly a beautiful community. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty lovely place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Maple Ridge also offers reduced rates for filming that coupled with its proximity to Vancouver has made it a favorite filming location for many Hollywood projects. I know that you've worked out there on a few different shows. Yeah, yeah, I've worked out there on a few Hallmark movies, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
Those Hollywood projects would include, but not be limited to, The X-Files, Smallville, Stargate, Supernatural, Legends of Tomorrow, and as Graham mentioned, a heck of a lot of Hallmark movies. Yeah, if you've ever seen a Christmas movie, uh, (laughs) it was filmed in Maple Ridge. Oh yeah. So while the folks in Maple Ridge are quite friendly and community-minded, there is an edge to the place. Like most North American cities, it struggles with property crime, addiction, and a contentious homelessness issue. In recent years, methamphetamine and fentanyl use has taken a toll on certain areas, and unfortunately the once historic and charming Haney district of downtown has been hit hard by these issues, giving that area a rougher vibe. So that's a bit of an overview of the town in which this story takes place. Okay, now let's talk about our victim, Peter Joseph Daquan Bender. Peter was a 33-year-old father of two living in nearby Port Coquitlam. He co-parented his young children, Victoria and Xavier, with his estranged wife, Frances Bender. From all accounts, they were on good terms while they did their best to raise their children. Peter was a man of faith, uh, and he was a leader at a church group at St. Luke's Parish in Maple Ridge. Now, all who knew Peter say he was a kind man. He was active in his church, always caring for others' safety, and he helped many people during their times of need. This is certainly going to come up later in the case. Peter is the type of guy who's going to drop everything he has going on to help anybody that needs his help. Yeah, and he had friends from all across the globe. He loved making new friends and bringing people together. He loved sports, music, going to the gym, watching movies and playing golf. And, you know, we've seen pictures of uh, Peter online and the dude was fit. Yeah. He took care of himself. For sure. Peter came from a really close-knit family. He was the youngest child of four kids and had three older sisters. But the family had recently been hit with back-to-back tragedies. Mm -hmm. The first being the death of his, his father in 2011, followed by the death of his eldest sister in 2013. So just two years apart. Yeah. The emotional and financial impact of these deaths compelled Peter to not only provide for his own young family, but also for his hardworking mother, Sangsoon Bender. That's so sweet of him, yeah. Peter had just been hired at a new job in November of 2015, and things were starting to look up as he began to excel in his new position as a sales associate at The Brick in Pitt Meadows. So for those who don't know what the brick is, it is one of those big box furniture retailers with about 235 locations across Canada. It's pretty similar to Leon's. In fact, I think it's it's owned by Leon's or no Leon's owns the brick. Oh, wow. Okay, so for those listeners living in Canada, I'm sure you've been exposed to their relentless advertising on TV and radio. They're the kind of place that constantly reminds you that they're having some type of sale. Yeah, be, like they'll yell at you and tell you, you don't have to pay a cent until 2025. <laughs> yeah, it's a tent sale. Yeah, nobody beats the brick. That's, yeah, that's their tagline. It was working here at the brick that Peter would meet two people who would unfortunately change the trajectory of his life forever. Those two people would be Miranda Thomas and Randy Williams Scott. Miranda Thomas was a 21-year-old sales associate working at The Brick. She had been working there since February of 2015. She lived with her twin sister, Andrea Thomas, in a rented ground-level suite in a house located across the street from the Haney Presbyterian Church. By all appearances, Miranda... In 2015, was your average young woman. She enjoyed travel, fitness, the outdoors, and social media. Like we all do. Yeah, she had a pretty consistent presence on both Instagram and Facebook, but then again, who doesn't, you know? Um, She appeared to be figuring out what she wanted to do with her life, both career-wise and romantically. So basically, she sounds like your typical 21-year-old woman. Yeah, yeah. Just figuing out what she wants to do and just living her life. Yeah, and this is where we introduce the third person in this story, Randy William Scott. Randy William Scott was 29 years old at the time. He grew up in Maple Ridge with his parents and three siblings. It was the usual childhood, school, sports, etc. As a young adult, he worked at McDonald's and at a White Spot Diner. Which is another Canadian chain restaurant, which is kind of like burgers and fries, family diner style. Yeah. In December 2015, he lived with his childhood friend, Milan Ivanchik, and Milan's sister. Randy is a fairly athletic individual. Uh, He played rugby at one point. He was also an avid squash, racquetball, and tennis player. 
Um, he enjoyed weight training and working out and took great pride in his physical fitness. But Randy was also dealing with some demons. Randy had been involved in three motor vehicle accidents. Two of them were pretty minor, but one of them was pretty serious. He suffered significant injuries as well as a concussion. The painful recovery from the third accident made it so that he couldn't work for over a year. During that time, he became depressed, unable to work, unable to continue his athletics. So he turned to alcohol and cocaine to deal with his physical as well as mental pain. Randy also turned to gambling as a source of income to fund his addictions. And it's worth noting that after the third motor vehicle accident, he got a pretty sizable uh, settlement. I think it was about ten grand or something, and that was his seed money to start gambling. Randy eventually sought help for his addictions. By November of 2009, his difficulty with gambling became so severe that he started working with a counselor and attended Gamblers Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. He also became a member at a local church and started going to Bible study meetings. In March of 2012, he successfully quit gambling, but still battled with alcohol as his substance misused ebbed and flowed over the years. Randy started working at the Brick in the summer of 2014. By all accounts, he was a talented and friendly salesperson who was well-liked by customers and co-workers and managers. He was repeatedly one of the top sales representatives of the Pitt Meadows store. In February of 2015, when Miranda Thomas was hired at the Brick, Randy was assigned as her trainer and mentor. They became good friends and spent a lot of time working together. And this is where our story takes a dark path. And with that not-so-subtle cliffhanger, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, and we're back. So now that we've built a picture of the three individuals this case revolves around, let's go ahead and get into the relationship between Miranda and Randy. It is clear that a friendship began to blossom at the time Miranda was hired, The two could often be seen joking and engaging in small talk during quiet periods at the store. Miranda says that when she first met Randy, he was very good with customers and coworkers. He was friendly, happy, humble, always had a smile on his face, and she described him as happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Randy says that when he first met Miranda, she portrayed herself as a goody-good and a good Christian girl. That's a direct quote. Wow. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Over a period of time, their relationship did begin to evolve. They would go out outside of work and go for drinks, and sometimes they would sleep over at one another's homes. Uh, The relationship did become intimate in March. So let's uh, reiterate there. She got hired in February, and the relationship went from coworkers, actually mentor, to brand new hire co-workers, friends, and now they have become intimate with each other. Um, And this is in what Miranda describes as a one-night stand type thing. In fact, she clarified to Randy that it was a mistake and she would prefer to remain just friends. Yeah. Okay. Clear boundaries are established. Mm -hmm. Right. So, unfortunately, Randy was smitten and he became relentless in his pursuit of Miranda. And they did hook up on another occasion shortly after the first time, and Miranda again was clear with Randy that she was not interested in a relationship and wanted to keep things casual. Now, I do want to let everyone know that it is possible they hooked up one more time in the fall of 2015, but Miranda did not recall the evening clearly, She did acknowledge that it was possible that he came over and they were intimate after she had sent him a, quote, flirtatious text and a picture of herself in a Halloween costume. Okay, so they maybe hooked up two and a half times uh, (laughs) between March and October. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there was some drinking that evening. That's why she wasn't able to clearly recall exactly the events. So So he's smitten and she wants to to just remain like a friends with benefits or a casual situation. Whatever. Okay, so by the summer of fall of 2015, we have these coworkers. They've hooked up a few times and Miranda has allegedly been very clear that she doesn't want a relationship. Randy does not react very well to this. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Between the months of March and October, Randy became obsessed with Miranda. It was clear that Randy was more attached to her than she was to him. 
He told her a number of times that he was in love with her and on several occasions tried to hug her in the back room. So I imagine this is like the break room at the brick. And sometimes when he did that, she would tell him he, quote, needed to cut it out and that they were just friends. Other times when he hugged her, she would humor him and hug him back. I totally know Mm -hmm. what this is like. I myself have been in a in like a unrequited love friendship, weird thing. Um, and it's super tough because you, you don't want to hurt this person's feelings. You want to keep that friendship, but you also don't want to continue to lead them on. So it's a bit of a rock and a hard place. Yeah. 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 It can be challenging. And, uh, you know, I'm not much of a hugger myself, so, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I can't relate to this. (laughs) (laughs) So she never told him that she loved him and tried to make her intentions with him clear. I think that's pretty obvious at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, Randy sent many text messages to her on a weekly basis, asking her to be his girlfriend. Super weird, right? Yeah. Like a weekly, like, do you want to be my girlfriend? Yeah. She testified to that. She said that, uh, the, 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 these text messages specifically about being his girlfriend were weekly. Yeah. He told her he loved her and that he wanted her to know God like he did and wanted her, sorry, to help her put her heart together again. I'm not sure what that means. Okay, so yeah. he was trying to mentor her now in life, yeah. it seems, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in faith. Yeah. She would always respond that they would just be friends, and he would laugh that off and just say, okay. Mm. But he would just keep trying. Yeah. So on more than one occasion, friends, as well as members of his recovery support groups, would consistently tell Randy to move on from Miranda and that they believed the relationship was toxic. So that's not- that's helpful. It sounds like he had some people in his corner who were trying to give him some good advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy, of course, did not take this well-intentioned advice, stating that, quote, it was hard to accept the advice to move on because, as he put it, he cared so deeply for Miss Thomas. Yeah, this is where we start to get into that whole territory of... Uh, of love versus possession, and I'm I'm not uh, uh, super adept at the Bible, but I believe that in Corinthians it says that love is charity. It's like, uh, yeah, like giving being... without the expectation of receipt. Right. It's not anything about ownership no. of a person. Right. On October 16th, he sent yet another text message at 10.51 p.m., so a late night text here. In this text message, Randy confirms his obsession with Miranda, pours his heart out to her, proclaims his love, and asks her one more time to be his girlfriend. Eight minutes later, Miranda would reply, and her response was short and unequivocal. Again, she did not want a romantic relationship with Randy and felt that they should spend some time apart. Okay, so she's now, uh, these are clear, clear boundaries. Yeah, no, she is, she's, I think at this point, kind of done. Yeah, she didn't take longer than eight minutes to respond and compose that text message. Right. It was, it's very clear where her heart is. Yeah. Hey dude, back off. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm just not that into you. Yeah. Randy was devastated by her response and this led to him quitting his job at the brick and seeking employment elsewhere. After Randy quit the brick, Miranda said that she was, quote, sad to lose her friend, but also relieved that she would not have to be dealing with him being constantly on her. Miranda, despite his obsession with her, did not want to cut Randy out of her life as she believed that they were very good friends and co-workers. This totally circles back to earlier where I mentioned that I've been in that situation. It's super hard to, when you're young especially, to recognize those toxic behaviors and say, hey, maybe this person shouldn't be in my life, even though I do enjoy my relationship with them. They're sending me some serious red flags that this person might not be. Yeah, I think it does circle back to her, like her age and her experience mm-hmm. that like, uh, I want everybody to be friends. I want all my friends. And it's like, you know, sometimes you just got to let people go. Definitely. So here we are. We're at the end of October 2015 and Randy has seemingly exited the picture and Miranda should have been peacefully able to resume her work life at the brick. And she did. Right. She. Yeah. She excelled. Yeah. She started doing great. She started having just a a little bit of freedom and, uh, you know, and not, you know, what was going on with Randy was probably affecting her at work. She was able to now just focus on work. Or so she thought. Enter Peter Bender. Peter Bender was the hot new hire at the Brick in Pitt Meadows as of November 2015. With his competitive sales style, he quickly became a top-ranking salesperson at the store. And it wouldn't take too long. 
uh, for Peter to catch Miranda's eye, and the two began secretly having flirtatious, uh, having a flirtatious relationship at work. Their manager recalled on more than a few occasions Peter showing up at the store when he was not scheduled to work simply because Miranda was on shift, and he'd bring her coffee or lunch. That's nice. Yeah, Miranda would sometimes also start receiving flowers at work from an anonymous sender. I don't think it was an anonymous sender. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and have a hot take here and say that it was Peter. Mm. The employees at the brick would catch what they called subtle cues as uh, they began looking at each other with lovey eyes. <laughs> it was not overt flirting uh, by any means that they observed. Just like non-verbal communications. Yeah, subtle stuff. Mm-hmm. Miranda's sister, though, Andrea, she had met Peter on numerous times uh, and confirms that these two were indeed in a relationship and that they were just trying to keep it on the down low at work. So it seems like things are starting to work out for Miranda and Peter as they began to go on dates, taking a romantic day trip up to Whistler. And on one evening while out at uh, at a restaurant, Peter had their server write, Will you be my girl? Y or N, like she gets to choose yes or no. Um, And he had to write that in strawberry sauce on his dessert plate. Mm -hmm. Now, Miranda said it was the cheesiest thing she'd ever seen, but that she loved it. And for Peter, this was an exciting time. It was his first serious relationship after uh, uh, his marriage fell apart. And for Miranda, it was a refreshing change from the relentless pursuits that she endured from Randy Scott. Speaking of Randy Scott, uh, he was unable to locate solid work in the two months-ish since leaving the brick, and he reluctantly found himself back at his old job on December 4th of 2015. It is important to remember the dates here just because from here on out, things do escalate quickly. So Randy Scott restarted his job at the brick on December 4th. It didn't take long for Randy to notice the new sales associate, Peter, the two quickly developed a competitive rivalry, not surprising. They were vying for the top sales position at the store. And on one recorded incident, Peter did try to steal a sale from Randy. Unbeknownst to Peter, Randy began to have his suspicions about Peter's and Miranda's relationship. Just three days into his return to the brick, Randy would send Miranda a text message prying for information regarding her relationship status. Miranda denied being in a relationship. Randy would then again profess his love for Miranda, and she simply told him that she'd see him at work. Oh, God. Yeah. Randy was clearly not satisfied with Miranda's answer to his question as he would continue to obsessively bring Miranda up to anyone who would listen to him at work. The manager recalls opening the store with Randy on the morning of December 14th. So this is 10 days after he's returned to work. Yeah, and during their opening shift, Randy would ask the manager if he knew if there was anything going on with Peter or Miranda. Can we, yeah, I just want to interject, I'm so sorry, I just want to interject again. Can we just talk about, like, the level of weirdness that that conversation is between an employee and a manager. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that, like, he had been at the store for quite some time, so right. I guess they kind of had, like, a, a, relationship. a friendship yeah. or something like that. But still, it's super inappropriate. It's super weird. Yeah, it's me. also a furniture store. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, not to disparage that uh, pose- uh, profession by any means, but, you know, it, it's not like a Microsoft with a massive uh, HR uh, yeah, lawyer component. Right. And I'm sure that they're actually pretty close in age. Yeah. Now, the manager had his suspicions uh, about Miranda and Peter, but as he didn't know anything for sure, he told Randy he just didn't know. And the two of them actually oddly went on to discuss how Randy was clearly a better fit for Miranda than Peter was because Peter had kids and was older. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Randy did the heavy lifting on that conversation. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure the the manager was just like, yeah... Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah. Just agreeing, kind of, to get him to shut up. Yeah. So as the day went on, the manager was he was starting to get pretty concerned about Randy uh, and realizing that he was having a difficult time moving on from his perceived relationship with Miranda. So he actually offered to transfer him to a different store location. And I don't think this was punitive by any means. I think the manager was really just trying to do the right thing and mm-hmm. try and create some space. Randy declined uh, the offer, telling him that it was not necessary at that particular time. 
Now, on this exact same day at around 5 o'clock, Peter would arrive at work at the brick uh, to complete an internal credit application for a customer. Yeah, and he was not on schedule that day. He was doing this on his own time outside of work hours. Yeah, but while he was in the store, he had a conversation with the same manager inside the office where he expressed his belief that Randy didn't like him. The manager offered to step in to see if he could iron things out between the two of them, but Peter kind of just said, you know what, it's okay, I'll take care of it. He just wanted the manager to be aware of the situation. Yeah, and there was actually another employee at the store who recalled on the same day, this is still December 14th, that Randy also asked him if he had noticed anything going on between Peter and Miranda, to which he replied that he hadn't seen anything. Randy would go on to express frustrations about Peter and told his coworker that he did not like Peter and that he, quote, hoped and prayed he didn't hit him. The coworker found this out of character for Randy and unfortunately did not take the threat seriously. Yeah, like I, I haven't been able to find photos of Randy online. Um, but, <laughs> but we I have seen photos of Peter. Seen photos of Peter and that is not a guy I would want to hit. No, yeah, not at all. According to Randy at this time, his mental health uh, had taken a hit after his return to the brick. He did begin indulging, or he says that he began indulging uh, in alcohol again, would hide it at work by drinking coffee, chewing gum, and wearing cologne-scented deodorant, which, what does he mean by that? Like Axe body spray or some kind of like man body spray that you find at the drugstore. He was experiencing intense anxiety attacks at work, and this would plague him throughout the day, so he would leave to go to the bathroom to calm himself down. Mm. Uh, these claims have been refuted by coworkers and friends, but we did want to include his own account of his experience at this time. It is pretty easy to hide your anxiety. Yeah, I, I do I mean, it. You know, mental health and addiction is no joke, and uh, you know, if he was, uh, you know, if he he was struggling at the time, then he was struggling at the time. But the problem with what he's trying mm-hmm. to say is that other people saw him like, you know, succeeding and, and, and doing well at work. Yeah. Which it would, it's possible to do well while also suffering. Yeah. But what he is trying to say, I think is that his mental health led to what he did, which is what we're going to talk about next, because right now we're sitting in December 14th and in just five short days, Peter Bender would be dead. And so let's take a commercial break. Okay, and uh, we're back. All right, this brings us to December 18th of 2015. Let's break down the timeline of this day that would unfortunately end in murder. It was a Friday, and the schedule at work at the brick that day was Peter was going to be working 9.30 to 5.30, and Miranda from 1 to 9.30. Mm-hmm. So she had the night shift, the afternoon night shift. Randy was not scheduled to work that day because it was his brother's birthday. Now, after work, Peter returned home and brought his two young kids to the Christmas train not far from the brick. Now, remember, he co-parented with Francis, uh, and it was one of his nights with the kids. Randy, with his day off, was hanging out with his brother, and they went out to lunch at a Cactus Club restaurant and saw a movie at the Coquitlam Cineplex Theater. This is so weird because that is my theater. Like, I would see every movie growing up at that particular theater so this one is super close to home for sure randy would go on to testify that he was extremely depressed that day Uh, he was thinking about killing himself and he was desperately craving both alcohol and gambling so you know this is his testimony is that he was feeling suicidal that day and uh you know that is no joke if that was how he was feeling so i just want to highlight that like that's a that's a a major, major thing. Right, and especially when it's combined with, you know, struggling with your sobriety and... Potential relapse. Yeah. So while we could not find exactly what movie Randy and his brother saw that day or what time the show was, Star Wars The Force Awakens did release that day, so there's a good chance that that is what they saw. Receipts would go on to show that Randy purchased a $40 Cineplex gift card at 3.58 p.m., And that seems to be the time that they were leaving the theater. Randy and his brother parted ways after they left the theater. And after he left, uh, Randy would walk over to a superstore, which is about five minutes across the street, 
where he made a $29 purchase of chocolates, gum, and other items. Randy would then receive a phone call from a friend where he was invited to a party with old high school friends that evening. And at 4.41 p.m., Randy would make a large purchase at the liquor store consisting of a bottle of red wine, a bottle of vodka, and a bottle of Captain Morgan's rum. So a little something for everyone, apparently. Yeah, Christmas party season. Mm-hmm. Randy would then have an incoming call from his friend Kyle Post, in which they arranged to meet at a nearby Red Robin for dinner. Their mutual friend Darren would also end up joining them. Both Kyle and Darren did not recall Randy consuming any liquor at the Red Robin. In fact, they recalled that they were all sipping on waters that evening. Over dinner, they said that Randy was, quote, regular Randy, meaning his normal, happy self. They did recall that Randy mentioned not being overly enthusiastic about being back at work at the Brick. The topic of Miranda Thomas did not come up, which was, I guess, shocking. Shocking, yeah. Um, And the three men parted ways after dinner. After he left the restaurant, Randy, unfortunately, this is where his night kind of started to slide into some unfortunate actions. Uh, He ended up at a hard rock casino where he would go on to withdraw money from the ATM. He gambled and he would lose all of this money, which was approximately three grand. Ouch. Yeah. If you recall, Randy was someone who suffered from an addiction to both gambling as well as alcohol. We've mentioned it quite a few times. So, unfortunately, this afternoon, he has made a large misstep in his recovery and has fully relapsed at this point. Um, I don't know much about this, but... Yeah, I know a thing or two about this. I'm personally in the recovery world myself with 18 years sober, and I know that uh, on a relapse, uh, you know, it's... uh it can be pretty destructive. There's mm-hmm. two things that can happen. You can either pump the brakes and reach out for help or you lay on the gas uh, yeah. and, and you get what we call the fuck it's where yeah. you just kind of say, and when I say we, I mean people in recovery, people in recovery out there, my, my friends out there, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So it is likely that Randy at this point would be filled with self-loathing, grief, shame, and anger. Am I correct? Yeah. 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 Uh, He did just lose his three-and-a-half-year gambling-free status that he'd no doubt worked pretty hard for. Um, And upon losing everything, Randy would end up at the Hard Rock Casino's bar drinking double Jameson's and ginger ales. He was unable to recall exactly how many drinks he consumed. And while at the casino, Randy would receive a text message at 6.41 p.m. from Miranda Thomas, who you'll recall is still in the middle of her 1 to 9.30 p.m. shift. In this text message, Miranda asked Randy if he would be willing to start his shift the next morning an hour earlier so he could give her a ride, as I guess she was also scheduled to work the next day. And Randy did not respond to this text message until 7.58 p.m. And he said, quote, LOL, comma, oh yeah, period. So that was his text. So I don't know if he meant that like, LOL, oh yeah, or like, LOL, oh yeah, like she's asking yeah. him for a favor. Lol, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he also indicated at this time that he would stick with his normal start time the next day. So Randy at this point has, you know. Created a boundary. <laughs> so we Maybe, think. maybe it's like <laughs> Randy creating a boundary. Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't that be a good thing? Yeah, well, Randy would later testify that he purposely waited to respond to Miranda as he, quote, had to play games with her so he would not look too eager. Yeah, and just a just a note here to everybody out there, like, mm-hmm. you don't have to play games with anybody. Yeah. Yeah, just, just be a person. Just text someone back. Now, as we mentioned, Randy was considering suicide on this day, and he had now gone into a full relapse. However... Upon receiving this text message from Miranda, Randy decided that there was hope and that he would put off killing himself. At 8.17 p.m., Randy texted Miranda a photo of his alcoholic drink. So, did he do this uh, in kind of a... Like, hey, let's have a good time, or was it a look what you made me do? Yeah, Yeah, like, was he aware of, or was she aware of his addiction issues? I would imagine, yeah. Maybe he was like, I'm drinking at you. I wonder if he did that for attention or if it's just innocent. Now, the two would go on to continue exchanging text messages about their evenings. And at 9.17, Randy would invite Miranda to the party he planned on attending that evening. Miranda accepted his invitation. 
as Peter was busy that night with the kids. At 9.20, Randy would leave the casino and start heading back towards Maple Ridge to pick up Miranda. Randy would arrive at Miranda's house shortly after 9.45 p.m. Unfortunately, while at Miranda's house, Randy would discover a photo of Miranda and Peter together. Now, this photo was leaning against a bouquet of flowers on her kitchen table. Randy became angry and accused Miranda of being in a relationship with Peter. Miranda denied it. Eventually, Randy would calm down and the two left her residence and headed for the party. Not just, why would you go out to a party now? Because he's so desperate to just hang out with her. The two would arrive at the party, which was actually more of a gathering of about six people at around 10 p.m. Fun. (laughs) Miranda had a glass of red wine and a rum and coke while at the party. And as we know, uh, that's what Randy picked up. Now, attendees at the party said that Miranda was by Randy's side the whole time, which is not weird because she didn't know anybody else there. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, people saw him at the party drinking, but nobody says that he was overtly drunk or anything like that. But it is pretty safe to say that he was still internalizing some resentment about the photo he had seen of Miranda and Peter at Miranda's house earlier that night. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm sure he had a lot of negative feelings going on. Now, after about 45 minutes at the party, Miranda and Randy would leave and head to Randy's place. Now, in court, Miranda would say that she really wanted to go home and was uncomfortable because Randy was being lovey-dovey, but she humored him by going to his house. At Randy's house, the two would go on to hang out with Randy's roommates, Milan, and his girlfriend. They continued to drink and watch YouTube videos. Yeah, normal, normal stuff. So around 12.03 a.m., Miranda's call logs would suggest that she made an outgoing call to a taxi company, but it would appear as though that the call did not go through. Um, Miranda recalls being uncomfortable at this point with Randy driving her home as he was starting to appear intoxicated. Okay. Yeah, so the culmination of the casino drinks. Yeah, I mean, the guy's been drinking since like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So according to his roommates, it was around this time that Randy and Miranda would go to Randy's bedroom for about five or ten minutes. And while they were alone in his bedroom, Randy made an attempt to kiss Miranda. Mm. And this didn't end well because in response, she slapped him across the face. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, And this became evident to the roommates because when they emerged from the bedroom, it was super clear that the mood between them had shifted. So... They both, at this point, left the residence abruptly, and Randy told Milan that he was going to be driving Miranda home. And even though Randy, you know, likely shouldn't have been behind the wheel at this point, and was almost definitely over the legal limit, he drove Miranda the five-minute drive back to her place. When they arrived, Randy, oh boy, he attempted to kiss Miranda again. Yeah. Randy should have just went to bed at, like, (laughs) four o'clock this afternoon. yeah. Uh, she pulled away and told him to stop, and Randy obviously got super irritated by this, and he asked if he could come in for a glass of water. Miranda permitted him to do so. Now, his place was five minutes away from her place. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't have waited. Yeah, just go home, get a glass of water, yeah. go to bed. Well, I, this obviously wasn't about the glass of water. Upon entering her residence, Miranda got Brandy that glass of water. Randy then went over to the kitchen table where he would tear up the picture of Peter and Miranda. This obviously upset Miranda, and she began yelling at Randy to get out of the house. Randy then grabbed Miranda in a bear hug, and he... Yeah, (laughs) weird. And he tried to hold her, which only made her more upset, obviously. Yeah, but this is like, now we've escalated to... Physical. Physical violence. Yeah. Miranda spat water in Randy's face, and then Randy threw his glass of water in her face. It was after this that Miranda finally broke down. I'm sure she was just, like, ragey at this point. And she told Randy that she was, in fact, dating Peter. Randy called her a liar and a bitch. He then grabbed her and lifted her off the ground. And Miranda, desperate to get away, would end up slapping him across the face and ear. So she's kind of struggling and she's hitting him in the side of the head. It is worth mentioning that Miranda's twin sister, Andrea, was witness to this entire altercation. Miranda was yelling at Randy to leave her residence. And he wasn't listening. He was just standing there. He was not... Uh, complying with Miranda's request for him to leave. And it was at this point that Andrea decided she needed to intervene and she told Randy that he needed to leave. 
On the way out, however, Randy grabbed the bouquet of flowers from Peter and took them with him. And obviously he seemed agitated and annoyed when he left their residence. Uh, After Randy finally left, and I guess we should probably say was escorted out, Miranda would call Peter. Uh, It's not clear what was talked about during this about 20-minute phone call, but we'd go ahead and assume that she was informing Peter what happened that night. This would ignite a three-way text war between Miranda, Peter, and Randy. And just to be clear, this wasn't a group text message. This was three people texting one another separately. Yeah. Peter would encourage Miranda to call the police at this point and make a report regarding the altercation. Solid advice. Yeah. No, unfortunately, Miranda did not do this. Things would then escalate between Peter and Randy when Randy sent Peter a photo of the picture that he had ripped up. Peter would respond with text messages accusing Randy of abusing women, telling him to grow up and move on, and at one point saying, I hope you show up at work tomorrow. Between the hours of 12 a.m. and 2 a.m., Randy was consoled by his roommates. Uh, They even brought the dog over for him to pet and relax. That's nice. So he decided to finally go to bed, but he tossed and turned, uh, and his phone kept on blowing up with texts from Peter. Um, His brain couldn't shut off, and he decided, screw it, I'm going to kill myself. So he quietly made his way into his basement, and he got out a shotgun and a rifle from his gun safe. He was an avid gun uh, person. And these were legally owned guns. Mm -hmm. Now, he planned to drive back to Miranda's house where he was going to shoot himself in front of her in order to show her how much pain she had caused him. Meanwhile, Peter Bender was desperately trying to reach Miranda via both phone call and text message, but she was uh, not responding to either his calls or texts. Peter was obviously panicked because of what had happened earlier on with yeah. the violent incident between Randy and her. Can you imagine, like, the anxiety after hearing what happened and then just not receiving anything? So Peter decided to call his mother at 3.44 in the morning and ask her if she would take care of the kids for him while he went over to Miranda's place to make sure that she was okay. Peter's mother said that her son seemed normal, aside from the fact that he was, you know, doing a middle-of-the-night drop-off of the kids, Um, but she wasn't too concerned. From his mother's, Peter drove in the direction of his girlfriend's house. Now, at 4 o'clock in the morning, Gregory Platzo, the Thomas sisters' landlord and neighbor, was in the parking lot of Big Valley Heating. Now, this business is immediately to the north across the street of the Haney Presbyterian Church parking lot. Mr. Plasso uh, was an employee of Big Valley, and he was pre- preparing his truck for a snowmobiling trip that he was going on with a friend. Yeah, he's getting up at you know the crack of dawn to you know, get this day going. Yeah, and so he makes a bunch of trips back and forth to the truck, and at one point he sees a man walking down the side of the house, and now oddly he thought nothing of it, I guess because it was a rented suite and mm-hmm. you know people are allowed to freely come and go. Yeah. And it was around this time that Andrea was woken up by the sound of a knocking on her bedroom window. She tried to wake her sister up but was unable to. She didn't know who was at the window, and she eventually just went back to bed. It turns out it was Peter knocking on the window, and after several unsuccessful attempts, he returned to his vehicle parked in the church parking lot. Peter sat in his car with the engine running and the headlights on, his window open, and cell phone in hand texting Miranda. Little did Peter know, Miranda was actually passed out drunk in her bedroom with another guy named Doug, whom she had gone out to a bar with. Apparently, she had called Doug and asked him to accompany her to a bar after Randy left her house earlier that evening. Miranda would testify that she went out to this bar because she was so distraught by the earlier events of the evening, and she did drink excessively at the Haney Pub and returned to her residence with Doug at around 2.30 in the morning. Meanwhile, Randy Scott made his way to a nearby dike and test-fired his rifle to ensure it was working. Once he was satisfied his firearms were in working order, he continued his drive towards Miranda's. Upon arrival, Randy spotted what he believed to be Peter Bender's car. This enraged Randy, and he quickly maneuvered his vehicle to box Peter in. He then retrieved his shotgun from his trunk 
and recalled Peter having a, quote, look of surprise on his face. Randy would shoot Peter in the face at point-blank range a total of four times through the open driver's side window. Gregory Plastow was still loading his car and crouched at the fence line after hearing four loud shots in quick succession, and at this point was fearing for his own safety. He stood up trying to determine whether or not it was safe for him to retreat. He then reported hearing a car door close and seeing Randy Scott calmly leaving the scene of the crime. Gregory then placed a call to 911 at 4.19 a.m. The RCMP would arrive at the scene five minutes later, where they would discover Peter Bender dead in the driver's seat. They located four expended 12-gauge Winchester shotgun shells, and they noted that the victim still had his cell phone in his hand, the screen bright, and an unsent text message still in the midst of being written. The message starts, like, I'm tripping over you, and for who knows. Thereafter, the text is simply the word barbecue repeated five times and a series of letters and commas as if the keyboard had become stuck. It was clear that Peter had been in the middle of composing a text message to Miranda Thomas when Randy Scott brutally shot him in the face. So Randy arrives back at his residence after experiencing what he calls a trance-like state. He returns his firearms to his gun locker and locks the gun safe. He then goes upstairs, gets changed, and packs a traveler's bag. And in that, he puts his passport, his Gambler's Anonymous One Day at a Time book. And uh, his Bible. And his Bible, yeah. And he starts heading south uh, to the Peace Arch Crossing, which is where Canada meets the United States at around Blaine, Washington, in upstate Washington. This takes him about 20, 25 minutes. And on his way there, he stops at an ATM, and he withdraws $800 Canadian. So after making it to upstate Washington, Randy would head directly to SeaTac, the airport in Seattle. But before that... Randy stopped at a casino in Tulalip, Washington, where he would gamble and exchange his Canadian dollars for U.S. dollars. At 7.06 a.m., Randy would go to a Walmart in Tulalip and purchase a tablet. He then went to McDonald's to use the Wi-Fi and purchase a flight from Seattle to Cabo San Lucas, which was scheduled to depart at 11.15 a.m. Randy Scott would arrive at SeaTac at 8.04 a.m. and make his flight to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. In Mexico, Randy saw Aztec ruins, beaches, he went snorkeling, he made friends, he claims to have engaged in sexual relationships, and then he went to Belize because he knew it would be more difficult for the police to arrest him there. I find that interesting because isn't it already pretty hard for police to find you in Mexico? Like, Yeah, because of the population in Mexico, but yeah. I guess, I think you can live cheaper in Belize than you can. Right, and he only had a limited amount of money, and it at this point, is... Starting to dwindle, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So, however, on February 16th, 2016, so he's been on the run for... Two months. Two months now. Yeah. Randy's beach getaway would come to an end when a family member informed him of the outstanding warrant for his arrest. Randy decided to turn himself in, and he flew back to YVR, which is the Vancouver International Airport, where the police would be meeting him at the arrival gate. Okay, so now that Randy is back in Canada, let's kind of dive in here uh, about the trial and the sentencing. And I think I think we kind of need to explain. Yeah, so in Canada, uh, when it comes to murder, there are three types of murder. There is first-degree murder, which is uh, a deliberate uh, murder that you planned out. It's premeditated. Yeah, or it could be, uh, you know, shooting a cop or something big like that. Now, that is first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. Now, second-degree murder is basically all murders. Yeah, anything that involves the intentional taking of life, however, it lacks planning. Yeah, any premeditation. Yeah, and now if you don't get... Second degree, then you get manslaughter, which also um, uh, has accidental homicide and criminal negligence causing homicide and those types of things, like a drunk driver or whatever. Or somebody that punches somebody on the side of the street and and just intention, like the the intention was to get in a fight, not to... Kill someone. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very clear and he admitted to the crime of murder. But Mm -hmm. what was going on was his defense really wanted to put forth an aggressive um, case um, to get his... Uh, uh, sentence and his charge knocked down from second degree murder, which is intent, yeah, uh, down to manslaughter. Like he accidentally shot Peter in the face. Shot Peter in the face. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so his defense team relied heavily on his mental state and his addictions. Uh, uh, they say that he was distraught and suicidal, and they claim that he was in no shape to form intent when he aimed a pumped action shotgun yeah. at Peter's head and pulled the trigger four times. Not once. Yeah. Now, the court heard from two medical doctors, as well as Randy's counselor and his court-appointed psychiatrist. Yeah, so at the center of the defense's argument was Randy's inability to maintain healthy relationships with women. Yeah, and this is where things get into the whole world, uh, the world of the, the toxic masculinity that we sometimes hear about on social media with regards to, you know, incels and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying this dude is an incel, but it's just interesting how much uh, blame is put on previous relationships with women yeah. in this situation. Yeah, it's it's super weird. So why don't you list off some of those things? Yeah, so... Randy outlined his experience of rejection by girls and young women that he liked. And allegedly, according to Randy, this started early on in his life. Very early. Yeah, like in in the first grade. When a classmate of his refused his offer of a cookie, and he felt personally rejected by that. This is a female classmate. Yeah. Refused a cookie. Boom. Rejection. Yeah. He graduated a year late due to dropping half of his course load in his final year due to stress and an inability to focus, which he attributed to negative comments from a female co-worker at McDonald's. So I guess he was working at McDonald's at this point, and he explained that he was infatuated with a girl. Her name was Christine, and she was the first person that he, quote, French kissed. I think this is a weird thing yeah, to say. <laughs> the first person you Frenched? Yeah, like, who yeah. says that? Yeah, mine was Candy Blaney. We had gone to an ice rink. Skating. Wow. Yeah, mine was uh, Cameron Kirpin. We kissed each other in a movie. I have no idea what movie we were seeing. Yeah, shout out to our firsts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she mocked him for being a virgin. So this is... This is terrible. Like, you never yeah. make fun of somebody's sexual status. And she also told him that she would date him if he lost more body fat. Unreal. Yeah, it's super messed up. Um, and he found these comments particularly confusing as a, he thought he was in good shape at the time. Um, and the comments obviously negatively impacted his self-confidence. He also explained that he preferred to approach the popular and beautiful girls later in high school and that some girls were interested in him, but he was focused on Christine from McDonald's. So couldn't, couldn't get over Christine, a co-worker. Another co-worker that he became infatuated with. So clearly this being infatuated with co-workers uh, was a bit of a pattern for Randy. In it's, fact, it happened yeah. again. Yeah. Um, the most significant relationship Randy had was when he was 22 years old. For one and a half years, he was in a committed relationship with another co-worker, this time uh, from White Spot, and her name was Laura. Laura left Randy to pursue a different relationship in the fall of 2010. Randy, devastated by this, was unable to function and depressed over the loss of his relationship. At one point, in a fit of anger, he posted a fake Craigslist ad leaving her phone number so that people called her number repeatedly. Randy did eventually get over the loss of his relationship with Laura as he started to engage in online dating and had one-night stands with women, but he never seemed to be able to develop a positive or lasting relationship with them. So from the totality of the evidence on this topic, it is clear that Randy had significant difficulties in his approach to dating women and that this was a continuing source of unhappiness, loneliness, confusion, and frustration in his own words, Randy conceded that he has an obsessive personality and is obsessive about relationships. So, wow, he has come to a place of self-actualization. Yeah, some self-awareness uh, here. Now, after hearing the victim impact statements from Peter's family, the judge had to weigh out the aggravating and mitigating factors of the crime to decide whether Randy was going to get second-degree murder or just manslaughter. So the mitigating factors that he weighed out in this case were that Randy was relatively young and lacked a criminal record. He was apologetic about the crime and showed some remorse. He apologized to Peter's family. Um, he uh, had good behavior while he was in custody. And finally, that he had a support system around him. And they all, all of Randy's family said he'd never done anything like this before. Right. But the aggravating circumstances in the crime are as follows. 
The crime was brutal. Mm-hmm. Peter had no means of escape. Yeah. Uh, he was cornered and he was executed. Yeah. Um, the offense took place in, in the factual matrix of a relationship that had um, crumbled, that he couldn't accept that there was no relationship with Miranda. It was just a platonic relationship, yeah. and he just took it all too far. Yeah. Um, this was not a spur-of-the-moment instantaneous reaction to her, to Miranda telling Randy that she was in a relationship with Peter. Yeah, he like had it, seven hours or more. Yeah, it didn't just happen. Yeah. Um, it, it, he left. He went home. He got his guns. He came back. He f- yep. fell upon Peter. Yeah, there was so much time in between For him, him finding out. Yeah. Yeah, he could have just decided to go to bed, right? Yeah. And finally, the murder of Mr. Bender had a severe impact on Peter's family, mm-hmm. you know, especially his two young kids and his 78-year-old mom. So the judge found Randy William Scott guilty of second-degree murder. He sentenced Randy to life in prison, which in Canada is actually 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gave him the possibility of parole in 14. Yeah. Now, keep in mind this trial took about four years to uh, come to an end, which means that Randy has already served about four years, yeah. which means that Randy will be out in about 10. Yeah, so he's actually up for parole in, what, 2029? Yeah. Yeah. So there is no doubt that this was a completely senseless crime, and our hearts go out to all of the victims, which is why we wanted to cover this case. It definitely had an emotional impact on both of us. It has taken place really close to home for me. I grew up not that far away from Maple Ridge. Um, and it is important to recognize how many different people were if affected by this case. Miranda Thomas, totally a victim here. Just a young woman living her life when she was unwittingly uh, at the receiving end of an abusive and obsessive relationship that turned violent. Mm-hmm. And 2016... She shared a photo from her memories on Facebook of Peter assembling a Christmas tree with his two kids, and the caption read, You were such an amazing father. Your beautiful children were lucky to have you. I was lucky to have you. May your loving soul rest in paradise. During the victim impact statements, Peter's estranged wife, Frances Bender, indicates that her children are still struggling. The post-traumatic stress that Frances Bender has experienced has prevented her from returning to a job that she loved as an ER nurse. The impact of the offense on the Bender family was sudden and tragic. A mother has lost her beloved son. Two very young children have lost an adored father. Two sisters have lost a cherished sibling. And the community of friends and family of Mr. Bender have been forever tragically affected. Both of Peter's children included a request in their Christmas wish list that Santa bring their father back. If you feel moved by this episode, we encourage you to donate at the In Memory of Peter Bender GoFundMe page. The family has struggled so much in these last few years, and anything helps. So that about wraps up our case for today, and thank you everyone for listening. We want to take a moment to shout out some amazing podcasters in the true crime world who have helped us immensely with advice and tips. Uh, First off is Michael Whelan uh, from Unresolved and Hoax Podcasts. If you haven't listened to Michael Whelan, please go do so. He's amazing. Yeah, he was one of the first I started listening to. Yeah. It's, yeah, he's just a wonderful, kind human being. And we want to give a massive thank you to Justin and Aaron at Generation Y, who I'm sure require absolutely no introduction because they're like... The ma- godfathers <laughs> of, uh, <Yeah. laughs> of podcasts or true crime. They're masters. Um, and they're great guys and inspiring us to take on this podcast as well as being super helpful with all the questions that we had at the beginning So with that, please feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and photos at TNTCPod. That is at TNTCPod. If you enjoyed our show, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss new episodes. And if you have the time, a five-star rating helps us immensely to promote the visibility for our podcast. Yeah, and we are, you know, uh, doing this podcast on a Blue Yeti mic (laughs) with GarageBand in a uh, blanket fort in our living room in Vancouver. (laughs) Yeah, so with that, 
We will be releasing episode two shortly as we catch our stride with this podcast. So thank you and stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, you guys. Bye.